Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Brianna Sachs of The Washington Post has gotten used to covering climate disasters. But even she's been shocked by what's happened on Maui over the last couple of weeks. Most everyone, even emergency preparedness and disaster experts I talked to, didn't think it would be this bad. Just a few days ago, Brianna was keeping an eye on Maui by monitoring fire Twitter digitally listening in as emergency responders worried about wind speeds and drought conditions. And then we woke up and the death toll went from 6 to 36, and I was on a plane. So I was totally caught off guard. Paradise in flames in Hawaii. We're incredibly fast-moving. There are more than 100 people reported dead now. That makes Maui's fires the deadliest in the last century. This fire spread so fast that some people were actually forced to jump into the ocean to escape the flames. In this video, the historic downtown of Lahaina is all but destroyed. Locals who lost everything still in a daze, trying to connect with loved ones and scrambling to find a place to live. And it's like such a cliche that in disasters now, it's it, the phrase is, it looks like a bomb went off, but that is truly what it looks like. Like it's like... You know, these palm trees are just black and charred. Like, people's, the cars are just left with doors ajar. Um, and this is a place that's beautiful. Oh, it's still beautiful. That's that's the weird part about it, right? Like, I mean, there's, a like, a distinct block where the fire stopped. And then it's Maui. It's not that Maui's never experienced fires. There was a big fire just a few years back. But not like this. For me, it's hard to imagine the scale of Maui's loss. But Brianna's got the opposite problem. She's seen this kind of devastation again and again in California, in Colorado. She's already asking, who's to blame? So my passion is going in to the aftermath of disasters. But I've now, since I've covered so many, my brain automatically goes to accountability because we just know better. At this point. Did anything go right in Hawaii's response to these fires? Um, I mean, I would say I don't know yet. There's there's fires still burning here. I don't know if anything went right yet. Today on the show, did Maui have to burn? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, 
That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The story of the disaster in Maui is really the story of multiple overlapping disasters. First, the dry conditions on the island. Then a hurricane offshore that whipped up the wind. All of these things came together late at night on Monday, August 7th, when the first fire got sparked in northern Maui. It's windy and then there's a flash. And I think there's actually security camera footage of what happened here because this fire started at a bird sanctuary. The people running the place were watching carefully to protect the wildlife. That flash of light, it's called an arc flash. It's what happens when a power line comes into contact with vegetation, causing an electrical explosion called a fault. The camera comes back online and then the forest is on fire. The thing Brianna and others have chronicled over the last week is how often this pattern got repeated all over Maui, seeming to cause one conflagration after another. The details are always the same. A flash, the power going off briefly, and then fire. South of that bird sanctuary in Lahaina, Brianna met with a woman who saw the same thing hours later. She was like, well, I woke up at 3 a.m. to this bright light. And then I kind of went back to sleep. And then the power went out at 5, I think it was around 5 a.m. That's what all kind of the residents said, 4 or 5 a.m. And so I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's weird. Um, And... So that turns out that was also another arc flash. And I obtained data from this company called Whisker Labs. And I had them give me chronologically when all the faults occurred on the island in certain areas. So in Lahaina, starting at 1138 to 5 a.m., there was 34 faults. And remember, a fault means that vegetation comes in contact with a line, a line can fall down. The equipment, trans, you know, men are at the bottom. That could have, have a problem. Any of those faults could be an ignition source. Hmm. So you have 34 that maybe could have started something. So I had them look around the 3 a.m. hour to see if there was a fault at that time. And there was. There were two, um, 2.44 and 3.30. So that kind of fits with her story. Already. Multiple lawsuits have been filed against Hawaiian Electric, alleging that with the high winds, they should have just shut off power in Maui to protect people. Reporters are asking this question, too. Why didn't you shut off the power when the wind started to pick up? We're still looking at all the information, and we haven't actually had a chance to do all of that at this time. With all the um, respect, I think, it's been six days, though, so almost six days. And we've been putting everything we've got to helping our communities right now. Your reporting actually shows that the power company in Hawaii seemed to understand that the grid was in a dangerous place, like way before these fires broke out. Like they'd even reviewed what happened in 2018 with California's campfire, the one that killed 85 people. And they basically said, OK, like in a filing with the state, part of what might be successful in a wildfire situation is shutting off the power. Right. Right? Right. And to their defense, I mean, not defense, but... These public power shutoff programs, they're brutal. Like, it is a big trade-off. It's aggressive. It incurs a lot of blowback from people. I mean, you're asking, I mean, think about everything power runs, like, you know. Right, like if you have a machine that, you know, 
helps you stay alive in some way that you need to plug in, that's a big deal. Right. You need to get a generator. Um, I, you know, I live in LA and California and California started doing these and they are, they are not fun. But when you think about the number of lives that they probably save, I think it's a world we're going to live in now, especially after this, that it, we are going to be used to living without power for a day, two days. As a protection measure. It's a protection measure. It's like for the greater good, right? And the way that these winds keep increasing due to climate change, it's not going away. You're saying Maui's a warning. I'm saying Maui's a big warning. And it shouldn't have been because there was all these reports that Maui and Hawaii was increasingly fire prone. Like they have a wildfire organization. That organization had been putting reports out. It, you know, the federal government noted it as a high risk zone. So there were all these pieces there. And I I do think it's going to be a warning for utility companies that we have to start putting infrastructure underground. It's expensive. Nobody wants to do it. But the number of fires now that have been started by electrical equipment that have killed people, I think it's just something that they're going to have to eat and and start doing. To be clear, we don't No, like there's no proof yet that a power line caused the fires that have been so deadly in Maui. Correct. It's just that there's a lot of indications that that is probably the case, partially because there weren't lightning strikes. So the question is, what would be setting things on fire in the first place? That and like it arson is you know, still could happen. But just the way and the times um, that the fires started and the fact that multiple fires started around the similar time near power lines, you know, again, we don't know for sure, but it's the closest we have come to definitively saying that there was this problem with the grid. Something happened to a line that was recorded and then it recorded a fire starting exactly in that spot shortly after. We'll be back after a break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's not just the electric company that's getting tough questions after these fires. There are also questions about Hawaii's emergency response. Like, why was the fire department spread so thin? And why weren't more people told to evacuate? Maui actually has a siren system, which is meant to alert people during emergencies. But for some reason, it never sounded. Which means many people had little warning as fires spread across some parts of the island last Tuesday. Yeah, so it's chaos. There's three fires burning. There's electrical lines down, some of which are live. And we know that because of the Maui County bulletins that are getting put out warning people like, 
hey, this road is having issues, there's down trees, there's down power lines, power is out by this time everywhere. And at this point, the black smoke is so thick, people are having trouble seeing. There is no alarm system, there's no siren going off. The police are like driving around trying to get people out of their homes using megaphones in wind that you can't hear anything anyway. People don't know where to go. People are running into the ocean. Um, you know, they're they're trying to get out on one road. And it's just, it's it's chaos. There was also an early report that the fire in Lahaina was contained, right? And then later it was definitely not contained? Yeah, so that's a big issue for people because at this time, there are now three fires burning at the same time. I don't know historically when Maui's fire department which is not a wildland fire department also. You know, it's a city fire department. And city fire is much different than wildfire. They are, they are used to return, like responding to one structure fire, helping people out in emergencies, right? So they are trying to canvas three different fires. And they only have 10 fire stations on the island spread out. And they are already thinly resourced. So were they even able to declare a fire contained? or? Do they even know? So contained is different than put out. The fact that they said it was contained and then they left. So that's an area that people are upset about because if a fire is contained, it's it's not out. So there should still be people there making sure it's contained. There weren't. I've gotten conflicting reports. People said that they put it out and they kind of watched it for a little, maybe a little bit, and then they left. And they were like, okay, we're good. So yes, they left. And it was 100% contained. They went to fight the Kula fire, which was moving quickly. They ran out of water because they were putting so much on these fires. And I think by the next morning, early Wednesday, August 9th, it becomes clear how devastating and how widespread this fire got. So now we're speaking about a week after this. What's the situation today? Uh, I mean, there's still so much shock and trauma. Obviously, people are still in response mode. It's still an active search. Are things still burning? Uh, things are still burning. Yeah, firefighters are still fighting the Kula fire. That's in the northern part of the island? Correct. That's the the northern part of the island. And um, that is a bit, you know, the terrain is kind of what we think about normally for wildfire. It's rugged. It's it's a bit harder to access. It's up in the hills. You know, residents were, I was at, with residents, oh gosh, three, three days ago now, all the days blend together. But in two separate locations, they had to run and put out spot fires near their home. In Lahaina, I was talking to a group of, of people and all of a sudden, they start running. And I'm like, why are we all running? And I we I follow them and there's a spot fire that popped up in these dry grasses, which the firefighters had kind of bulldozed to, to bury what could be embers or anything. And one of them had caught back fire again. So they're taking rakes and putting them out themselves. The same thing's happening up in Kula. So it's still a very active situation here. They're still looking for bodies. They haven't finished even remotely close to searching all the the rest of the the homes and area that that burnt and then yeah there's like the uh Kula fire is 75% contained and the Lahaina fire is 85% contained so 
there's firefighters still on the ground. They probably haven't slept. It's, it's difficult. You know, it's, it's, um, people don't know where their family members are and they probably won't for weeks. It sounds like so many things went wrong when it came to fighting these fires. But there's, of course, other stuff happening that was out of human control, like the winds were over 70 miles an hour from that hurricane offshore. Yes. I guess what I'm asking is, was this a confluence of disasters? Could things have gone better? I mean, I think it definitely was a confluence of disasters. And, you know, people have told me the quote unquote, like perfect storm of, of things all at the same time that went together. And the Hawaii has been invaded by these grasses that are very fire prone. Are they native? They are not native, no. So they, you know, there's a lot of, of there, I wouldn't say a lot of bitterness, but there's an undercurrent of, of you know, like it goes back to colonization and that this was their land and that we came in and they, we brought all these invasive things and then they, that has taken over their land and it's caused this. And we haven't even gotten into climate change yet. And we haven't even gotten into climate change. And, you know, there's, they're worried about land grabbing because that's something they've had to fend off for years and years. There's, this land is theirs. It's sacred. It's there's There's families have owned it for generations. All the, a lot of the homes were multi-generational families where they all lived together and that's how they could afford to be here. And now they're so concerned that these developers, which does happen, we're seeing it in Florida after Ian, they swoop in and they put down big money and they buy up all this land and they put resorts up and they don't want this, you know, beautiful historical area, Lahaina and Kula. Kula is not a tourist town. There's, there's no resorts there. It's like this beautiful, special little community that is kind of off, you know, the beaten path. And they don't want it to become just this place where it's just like caters to tourists. So there's a lot of tension here. There's a lot of grief. There are a lot of complicated, like, you know, historical experiences that they feel that kind of set them up for this. You've written about how there was actually a fire in Maui just a few years back, but that for some reason, it doesn't seem to have been a warning sign or maybe not enough of a warning sign because of what just happened. Like, I guess I wonder, do you think that this fire will be different from that one? How could it not? I mean, when you think about like just the loss of life, I think that this is going to be a massive pivot. And and I I talked to the national fire administrator. You know, she was she was just giving me up. and there these conversations are already happening. She said they're like they're already talking about how from a firefighting perspective at least that they can be better prepared. And that could, you know, I want to know how were these Maui Fire Department firefighters trained? In conditions like this in California, we have learned to pre-station crews in high-risk areas. Had that been a conversation? Like, was there ever a thought about like, hey, this is happening. This is really dry. Like, should we wet the grasses down? Should we go cut these grasses? Should we put firefighters there just to watch in case anything pops up? Like, I want to know, did any of these conversations occur? Brianna, I'm super grateful for your time and your reporting. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for letting me ramble on (laughs) and keeping me on track. Brianna Sachs is a reporter covering climate change and extreme weather for The Washington Post. And that's the show. 
What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Alina Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here on Monday.